going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is Going Deep. I am Donovan Bennett. We are in the dog days of summer. Based on the sports calendar, there's a bit of a lull where we've passed the draft and free agency, but we're not yet into training camp of the NFL or eventually the NBA or the NHL. It's training season, literally, and that's actually when athletes get better, is this small window of time in the calendar. And I wanted to talk to the men in North America who has had the most diverse and collected group of athletes get better under him for the better part of two decades. Now, in this country, he's known for the hockey players that he works with and the drink that he founded, which would be BioSteel, which I happen to love. He would be Matt Nickel, the owner and coach of Paragenic Systems, Inc., director of player health and performance for the Ticats. As I mentioned, in the private sector, dealing with a lot of athletes. He's worked with the likes of an Andrew Wiggins, a Kia Nurse, a Jordan Bennington, a Connor McDavid, on and on and on. But the thing that fascinates me about Matt and the real challenge is, as you'll hear in our conversation, for me, it's, it's not just analytical, and cold and scientific. There is a bit of color. There's a bit of artistry. There's a bit of magic to figuring out a way to optimize the body and the athlete's motivation to get better in a way that makes sense in the short term and the long term. So let's learn how athletes get better and, more importantly, how they stay healthy in the offseason in order to have a productive season. We go deep on training and improvement for high-level athletes with Matt Nickel. So Matt, uh, thanks for joining. I love your work because you're an expert in your field, but it's part art and part science and finding the nexus between the two is what you know separates people in your industry. And you had a real interesting post recently on Instagram talking about are you hurt or are you injured and what it's like terms of training your athletes in the off season the post was talking about the amount of players who were playing with serious injuries that we only found out about after the stanley cup was handed out and so for you let's take a step back when you're working with athletes now that we're into the off season how much of your work is rehab how much of your work is prehab and trying to prevent injuries how much of your work is trying to get bigger, stronger, faster? And then how much of your work is sport-specific things to give them the skills that will transfer to the field or the ice? Yeah, that's a great question. It's probably, probably about seven questions wrapped up in one there. But um, 
I would say that in the case of professional athletes, and if I'm speaking, and Don, as you know, because you played uh, the sport as well, when you're talking about football players, everybody's hurt. You know, everybody, everybody who's in the lineup is hurt to some degree. You know, and there's a difference between being hurt and being injured, but even the guys who are playing, everyone's, you know, got bumps and bruises. Everyone's nicked up a little bit. Hockey, you know, very similar, maybe to a slightly lesser extent. Uh, you know, and uh, I think that in the case of my pro athletes, as as much or more of our time in the off season is, is spent doing actual rehab, just trying to get back to ground zero. With the younger athletes, you know, you hope that that they're not in the same situation. You know, that's the one of the beautiful things about being young. You're a little more resilient. You bounce back from stuff easier. But even in the case of those athletes, uh, as a private, and I've worked I've worked both on the team side. Uh, in season or year round now I work primarily on the private side in the off season so as a guy working on the private side you know I might only get some of the in the case of an NHL player you might have eight to 12 weeks Uh, sometimes you get a little bit more sometimes a little bit less in the case of an NBA player you might have six to eight Uh, you know baseball even less than that so knowing that you only have a limited amount of time even when they're healthy a good amount of time needs to be spent on prehab or at least at least educating them about the principles of how to conduct prehab so that when they're not with you, you know, the other seven, eight, nine months of the year, whatever the case may be, they have the tools in their own toolbox to help take care of themselves and keep themselves healthy. So the same thing with our young athletes, even if they don't have any injury issues currently, uh, a lot of it is about education to say, okay, if you're playing a contact or uh, basketball is a contact sport, football and hockey are collision sports, there's going to be some injuries along the way. Maybe hopefully nothing devastating, but there's going to be some learn the principles, learn how to take care of those things ahead of time. When you're working with athletes who, as you mentioned, are often hurt, is that work primarily getting them back to ground zero or putting in some framework so there's some preventative measures of having a similar injury in the future? Yeah, so I think, you know, usually, typically, a lot of the clients, when I'll meet them, they're coming to us for rehab. They're already hurt. But I think that the real magic is when you can start to see some of these patterns, some of them are sports specific. There are certain injuries that are more predominant in hockey, certain injuries that are more predominant in football. Uh, but when you start to see some of these patterns and, and, and really start to differentiate between contact and non-contact injuries, again, in football, you've got 250 pound men that, that move like, you know, world-class sprinters barreling into your arms and legs things are going to happen there's not too much you can do about that but a lot of these non-contact injuries i feel really are preventable and in those cases it's looking at the patterns and saying okay i've seen x number of hamstring tears x number of you know groin tears or acls or whatever the case may be what are the what are the most likely contributing factors to that injury and can we start ahead of time especially when these athletes are young can we build some resiliency into them? Uh, can, we, can we strengthen the muscles that we tend to find are weak when these people show up? Can we stretch and lengthen the muscles that we tend to find are generally tight with people that have these injuries? And, and, and I think that, you know, it's not an, it used to be an opinion. It's not an opinion anymore. We've seen great results of that where you can start to institute some of these prehab concepts and you reduce, you're never going to eliminate, but you reduce the likelihood of a lot of these non-contact injuries. Kind of fascinating because you're getting ready for a season. Ultimately, you're getting ready for a marathon. Hopefully, a, a, a long season. But you want to be efficient with your work in the off season. But at some point, 
the athlete has to rest. What do you do in terms of assessing what type of load can we put on this athlete? What can we do with them this day, this week, this month to make sure we're doing well by the athlete in that time period, but also giving their body and in some instances their mind time to heal? Yeah, and that's 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 you 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 touched on something in the intro that is it couldn't be more true. It, there is an art and there's a science to the business that I'm in. So there there's a lot of uh, modalities that we use now with regards to the science of of monitoring recovery, monitoring readiness, assessing uh, the levels that the athletes are at, and we have a suite of technology you know at our facility that would rival anything that any professional team in any league would have. And all that stuff is super, super valuable, super important, but it's not enough. I think you have to understand a little bit. This is where the art uh, comes in, not just the sciences. Understand that these are people, they're human beings. And I can tell you from experience that, you know, I've had issues in the past with athletes that have gone to the championship, to the final, game seven of a Stanley Cup final, Super Bowl, and been on the losing end of those games those athletes will, you know, not always, but sometimes they'll come, they'll show up on your doorstep 48 hours, 72 hours later, fired up and ready to go. And they want to jump into training like it's midsummer because they want to avenge the loss. They want to make up for that. They want to get right back to where they were. They're, they're pissed off. They're upset. And you've had, you know, the flip side of that coin, you've had other athletes that, you know, win a championship and think that that's uh, their ticket to take a summer off you have to understand the mentality of each individual athlete. You have to understand the mindset. You've got to find a way to, to meet them where they're at. And, uh, you know, hopefully you've, if they're an existing uh, client or an athlete, you have that trust. And if they're not, you got to build it quick. Uh, and you got to understand how to satisfy that mental and that emotional need to train, to get better that they've, that's been driven into them since they were young. They've been told since they were, you know, little kids, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. You know, every day your competition is out there outworking. All those, and you, I'm sure you've heard them all or maybe you've even said them yourself, but all those, you know, slogans and jargons and motivational speeches. But, you know, the body does need rest. And, you know, if you're, you know, I, 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 there's lots of analogies, but I try to explain that if, you're, if your car is out of gas, you can step on the pedal as often as you want. You can step on it as hard as you like. It's not going anywhere unless you got gas. So they really need to refill their tank. They got to recharge their battery, and, and it's sometimes it's it's a hard sell. I, I mean, I can tell you, working privately, I really don't have any issues with motivating athletes to do things. It's quite the opposite. Most of the issues I have are really convincing these guys when they need to take a step back, when they need to to rest, either actively or sometimes just completely rest and get away from the sport and away from the training. You mentioned that private side, and so these athletes will be going into the off season after some exit meetings, and oh, if specifically they're young players, they probably have a program or a plan uh, to gain if they need to, or lose if they need to. How do you mirror what you do and your expertise, but also try to manage what the team? and the individual health and wellness group and strength staff is doing the team level. Um, and is that at odds sometimes? It, it absolutely is at odds sometimes. So, and it is a juggling act to balance the, the wants uh, of the individual athlete with the needs that 
the team feels they have, that I might feel they have, if it sometimes is different than what the team has. And I think the part that's helped me in that is having worked uh, on both sides, having worked for the team side and having worked on the private side, I have an appreciation for both. And I don't think there's – that, that, it can become very adversarial uh, between team personnel and private personnel and the team personnel are – you know, they're being held accountable for the result of the athlete in the offseason, but if the athlete's not there, that's not really fair to them. Uh, you know, the private the private personnel sometimes feels like, you know, they aren't appreciated, uh, you know, at the level that they should be or could be. And, and I think I think having lived in both worlds, it helps me be a little bit more empathetic to the to the pressures uh, that that the that each feel and then in this in my case now that the team side will feel. And I think it's really important at the end of the day when you're talking about if we're if we are talking about specifically about professional athletes, you know, I, I might have an opinion about what they should or shouldn't do or, or what their goals should or shouldn't be, but I don't write their checks. So I think that's very important to be clear about that. And I, I try to do a good job of that of being clear to say, hey, listen, at the end of the day, the most important thing is what your team is looking for. So, so if your team wants you to gain 10 pounds and I think you should lose 10 pounds, I might be successful in accomplishing my goal that I had for you, but that might ultimately not be good for you because maybe that's not looked uh, well you know, upon by the team. So I think getting really, really good clarity. Uh, however, at the end of the day, as a private you know, practitioner, my, my customer or my employer is the, is the athlete, not the team. So there are occasions where an athlete will say, hey, listen, I, I don't really care what the team said. I know my game. I know my body. I know this is what I need to do. Ultimately, that's my responsibility is to deliver the result that that person wants. But I try to do a good job as best I can uh, of making sure that we walk that fine line and we understand that, hey, that you, you, know, you have a responsibility to your team. And if you're hiring me, I have a responsibility to help you get that result. A huge area in the industry that's growing in the last 15 years or so from my perspective is managing that opportunity when athletes go from amateur to pro and getting draft ready, combine ready. I, I knew this was becoming a cottage industry when I was in university and university CIS players at the time, now U sports players were going down to Arizona and Florida to get ready for the CFL combine being paid for by agents. When you're not looking at millions uh, for that first round contract, the, the, the business of, getting athletes ready for those combines what's that like because you're in a way getting them set for an open book test but also some of that stuff won't necessarily translate to actually playing the sport that they're going to be paid to play how do you manage you know those uh, two realities yeah i think i think a lot of it depends upon the player you know if you are uh you know your your Zion or your Connor Bedard or somebody like that, you're 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 getting drafted first. It doesn't matter if you go in there and do one rep or, or twenty reps. If you run a a four four or a forty four, uh you're still going you're still going first. Uh I think those those are different sorts of uh conversations with different sorts of athletes. But I think for the most part, as you said, it is an open book test and the majority of these teams place a very especially if we're talking about football place such a high value on these tests that I don't think, I know I always try to be very transparent and, and have these kind of relationships with my athletes where we can have these conversations where I can say, Hey, listen, here's my opinion about the test, but none of that matters because at the end of the day, again, I'm not writing your checks. So 
the people that are going to write your check, they think that these tests are very important, so it's in your best interest to do great on these tests. Some of these tests have some carryover, so that's okay, we're, we're, and, and some of them don't, but that really doesn't matter right now. You have, to, you have to break your career into stages, and in this next stage, our goal is to dominate these tests. And then once we do that and once we get your draft status up, then we can switch back, and some of these tests, maybe we'll never, ever do those things again. Uh, or maybe we will, but but at least you know have the understanding that this is a stage, it's a phase, and you know what? If uh, if that open book test is uh, in a subject that carries a lot of weight from the people that write the checks, you better be good at it. One thing I love about your work and your gym is that you train all types of athletes. I, I think you're well regarded in our country for training elite hockey athletes, but you've got soccer athletes, obviously you train basketball athletes like Andrew Wiggins, football. There's a big part of your background and your work with the Ticats. Those sports are somewhat relatable, but also they're asking different things from different systems. So hypothetically speaking, and obviously it'll change by position, but you know, a football player or a soccer player, or a hockey player, you know, a baseball player, a basketball player all walking to the gym and you got to build a, a custom workout for them based off of the systems that they rely on to compete. How different would that workout look from sport to sport? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I think that uh, because a lot of the athletes that I'm working with are at the top of the game, they're in they're elite athletes, they're professionals, um, are the workouts actually in those cases sometimes don't look that different because my job is not to help them hit the baseball with greater proficiency or to catch the pass or to make the shot. My job, you know, at that level, they have, spe- they have specialists for everything, whether it's people that, you know, are in my employ or they have their own specialists, you know, hopefully they don't need me to teach them how to do, take a jumper. You know, if, and, if Andrew uh, Wiggins or Kia Nurse needs me to teach them how to, you know, go to the left or to hit a three, that's probably not a good situation. You know, their career is probably in jeopardy, right? So I think if I had younger athletes or, you know, when I, when I was first starting out in this business 25 years ago, I probably trained more CFL players than anybody in this country, but I was a one-man show. So there, what, we didn't have... A, a, a footwork guy and a soft tissue guy and a mobility person and a speed per I was all those people. So the workouts looked extremely different from position to position, not even just sport to sport, but position to position, excuse me. But I think now as, as, as I've progressed, a lot of times we realize that the role in the gym is not to, you know, not to train basketball or hockey skills necessarily, but to increase their ability to produce force increase their ability to take that force and, 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 and produce it faster, make sure that their body is healthy and, and aligned and functioning properly. And those things, you know, transcend all sports. And there are nuances. I think when, when, we, when we get into the topic of conditioning, that's highly sport-specific, highly sport-specific. You know, if I've got hockey players, we, we will do work on the track, we'll sprint and all that stuff, but the, the majority of the work that we're doing for conditioning happens on the ice in hockey-specific movements. Same thing for a basketball player. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll sprint a bit. Maybe we ride a bike or do something very general early on. But as we get closer to the season, that work has to happen on the court for the best transfer. So I think in the gym specifically, uh, there are there are nuances, there are differences, but I think they're more subtle than than many people would think. Is there an athlete that 
you're working with that you see they're on the cusp and maybe the broader public has no idea that they're about to take a huge step? Yeah, I mean, it's that's such a hard question. You know what? I, I hate I hate answering questions like that because I'm always going to forget someone and leave somebody out. And I think that the cool thing is now, you know, in the last few years, my business has grown exponentially and we're seeing more and more younger athletes, which is really cool for me because you'll see, you'll see a young athlete come through at 13 or 14 years of age and you see that same athlete two years later and it's like an entirely different human being. You know, they, they don't even resemble the, the, the kid that you saw two years ago, right? So I think it's so hard. I've seen, you know the kids who were all world at 14 or 15 and by the time they're 18 they've sort of petered out and or maybe their interest has, has waned and they've gone on to something else i've seen other kids that you know we were kind of struggling along and limping along as 14 and 15 year olds and then all of a sudden they grow they mature they hit their stride they find some confidence and they, they just take off and explode so i i that's the probably the coolest part for me now is to see these young athletes and just wonder hey you know what who who might this person be three years from now? And I think the thing that we often look for physical qualities, and I think that people that do what I do, we get really enamored with how many pounds are on the bar or, you know, what the number says on the stopwatch. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I get excited by that too. But I think that the really cool part is when you see a lot of these athletes, what, what are those intangible qualities that all the best players have to have? And if they've got those, but they don't have the physical part, you know, if you've got a, an athlete who is always on time, is always excited about being there for training, always works hard, very coachable, asks good questions, does their homework, and maybe they're just not quite tall enough or they're just not quite strong enough at this point, that's okay. That's, that's, that's my job, right? They, if they have all those intangibles that I can't give you, if I, I, I can't, I can't make you a good person. I can't make you a hardworking person. You can, you can enhance those qualities. You can foster them. You can provide an opportunities for them to, to get better there. But if they, a lot of that stuff is that's, you know, that's mom and dad or somebody else in their life that's helped them to be that kind of person. But when you see that they have all those qualities, well, who knows, you know, who knows, who knows where they'll go from 14 to 18 and who knows what will happen with, you know, three or four years of really, really high quality dedicated training. It could be anything. That's, that's the exciting part for me. Yeah, uh, a guy who has all those qualities and maybe just didn't have the intangibles, uh, or didn't have the 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 height and the didn't pass the eye test. Just got forty three million dollars a year. The sixteenth highest paid player in the Absolutely. NBA would be Fred VanVleet. So yeah, it, it is Absolutely. a great point. Will and and and, and the flip side, you look you, you know you you look at the you look at the Joker, you look at Fred, different different problem. Okay, but same bias. Here, here's this. Here's this big chubby kid. Here's this little stumpy kid. Right? I'm sure there are there are probably a whole bunch of minor or high school basketball coaches that would have passed on those guys. I've got a, I've got a, a soccer player in uh, in my facility now. I don't know if he was five feet tall when he was uh, you know 14, 15 year old kid. Supremely talent, uh, incredibly coachable, wonderful work ethic, but. You know what? I, I know lots of people that would have, you know, kicked him to the curb just because he didn't look exactly the right way, wasn't the right height. Uh, you never know at that age. So I think that that's the really fun part. Will executives, scouts, decision makers reach out 
to you for Intel for background? What is he like around the facility? Does he try and grind out those extra reps? Does he push himself to failure? Is that uh, a knowledge that decision makers look to get from you? Absolutely, and I will tell you, I'll tell you what. There's a, there's a very high correlation between the success of the teams that do that uh, and and the lack of success in the teams that don't. You know, smart smart teams, smart GMs, smart player development coaches, they do that. Because you know what? All the other stuff now, you know how the kid plays. It's all, you know, it's all available online. You can see every, every second of every, every game that any of these kids has played with the technology that we have now, with social media. Everyone knows that. There's no secrets there. You can't take plays off anymore. There's the eye in the sky that, you know, Donovan, when you and I were, were coming up through that system, they talk about the eye, in the, sky, the eye in the sky. Well, I don't know. You know, I played, I played two games a year on TSN. The other eight games, who the hell knows what happened? You know, now every, every, you know, every team, every second of everything, all the way from, the, from when they're young kids up, it's all available. So that's not going to differentiate your team. It's all the other things we just talked about. Do you know the answer to those questions? Why, why do teams find out when they've already drafted a player and committed millions and millions or tens of millions of dollars to this person that he actually doesn't have a great work ethic? He's actually not very coachable. He, he, he's not passionate about improving. It's too late now. You can't, you, can't wait, you can't wait till you've already signed the check to find those things out. The health and wellness and training space – continues to explode we see more and more data more and more technology uh, in some ways there, there's great resources online it's democratized the ability to you know play in this world do you think it's reached its peak and plateaued or, or do you think there's room still to grow in terms of what we're doing to make our athletes better and healthier no absolutely not it hasn't reached its peak not, not by a long shot. And as long as, you know what, as long as there are guys like Fred, uh, guys like, you know, Jokic out there, like as long as those things are still happening, <clears throat> that means we're not quite there yet. You know, I, I, those are guys that were, you know, missed. They were missed by all of the tangible, objective things that we have decided are, are the criteria for being successful or not, right? So that means we got to, change our criteria where there's other things that we, that we haven't seen yet you know so i think i think it's going to keep growing and as long as we're paying these athletes uh, a king's ransom which we continue to do uh there's going to be people like me that are trying to find ways to make them better make them faster make them stronger it's, it's just always going to evolve uh and lastly your work with the tie cats means you get to work uh up close and personal with bo levi mitchell uh bringing you back to your roots of working you know, with CFL players as he looks to rehab and get better. What has it been like to work with him closely? Obviously, you weren't expecting to be working so closely with him hand-to-hand so early in the year, but what has that experience been like this fall? Yeah, I mean, Bo, Bo is a consummate professional from every everything that he does, the way, the way that he, you know, prepares, the way that he treats all the people, staff and teammates around him. He knows the game in inside and out. He's been in it, you know, for a very long time at a very high level. Um, and as we talked about, it, you know, he's he's a guy. He's, you know, it's no no secret. He's an older player. He's got a lot of mileage on him. Uh, and football's a tough game, so things are going to happen. But just to see the way that he has 
you know, it's a huge transition, uh, you know, moving moving to a brand new city at this stage of your career. That's a bold. That's a bold move. It's not easy to do. You know, you, you know, you're the new kid in school. You're the new kid in town. When you've been a, a premier player and, and an anchor uh, in a city like like the way that he has, that's not an easy thing to do. And I think that sometimes, again, people neglect or don't consider the fact that these guys are, are you know, they're, they're, you know, supremely talented athletes, but they're human beings, you know, and it, to, to move your whole family, your wife, your kids, all your friends, your whole network of support, uh, for him to do that and to come in with, uh, with the attitude that he has, the work ethic that he has to do with grace and, uh, and charisma the way he has, uh, you know, Hamilton's very, very lucky to have a player like that. And I, and I think, uh, you know, it's very early days in the season, but, uh, you know, I think there's still a ton of upside for him and there's going to be some exciting days to come. He's an older player, but older TVs have had great success, whether it's Anthony Calvillo, Ricky Ray, Damon Allen. There's a couple of schools of thought when it comes to being able to perform later in your career. Pat Riley always felt his players need to lose weight to get older have less load saw Tom Brady and the importance of flexibility for him and being somewhat like a Gumby. If if there's one thing you would say, you would want to be cognizant of trying to keep an older athlete ready to play for as long as possible. What would that be? Yeah, I think that's, you know, especially at that position, we're talking about quarterbacks there, you know, obviously speed is important and strength and, you know, blah, 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 all the tangibles we talk about, but, so much of that position is is mental, and so much of that is just understanding the game, understanding tactically how to how to perform in that position. You know, it it, it doesn't mean you know it doesn't mean that you don't need to be fast and strong. You, obviously, you do, but those things become more and more important, and it allows you to be an older player at those positions. Um, but I think the one thing that's important for all those athletes is to understand that you can do all the things that you used to do. You can be as strong as you ever were. You can be as fast, you know, as you ever were to an extent. You know, I'm sure there's, you know, there's some natural drop off to but a lot less than people think. But it's your recovery ability that really takes a hit. So you can do it, but you can't do it on four hours of sleep anymore. And you can do it, but you can't do it and, you know, be out chasing it at night. And you can do it, and you can't do it without the rest, without the recovery methods that you, you mentioned, stretching, therapy, all that sort of good stuff. You know, when you're 19, you're a little more resilient. You know, maybe maybe you can, you know, not warm up as diligently. Maybe you not cool down as diligently. Maybe you're not as disciplined or, you know, regimented with your diet. When you get older, those things are non-negotiable. You just have to be. You really need to focus on your recovery, and that will allow you to still do all that cool stuff, to still be fast, to still be strong, to still be powerful. But you got to really make a commitment to your recovery and your prehab. Well, on that note, I better go stretch because I certainly <laughs> am old. Uh, and I think wistfully of the days when I was, you know, just like a cheetah. I could just get up and, and go zero to 60 without issue. But far from it now. Uh, but um, it, I love watching uh, the transformation that your young athletes have throughout their careers. And, and I just love the way you're taking the industry to the next level. So thank you for everything that you do. Yeah, always a pleasure chatting with you. So thanks so much to Matt. And, man, what he does is real. Myself and Cabby a couple weeks ago went up to his beautiful 
estate, I guess is the best way to call it. It's not just a gym uh, on the grounds at Downsview, not too far from where TFC trains and has their academy at Paragenics. And he put us through essentially what was a warm-up for his high-level athletes, but for us, it was a full workout. And I'm still sore uh, afterwards. But uh, I-, I left feeling better about myself, so maybe he really is a miracle worker. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about what he's doing and, and maybe what that application is for weekend warriors, like most people listening to this, give him a follow at M underscore nickel and make sure you're following Paragenics as well at Paragenics on Instagram, on Twitter, just the videos that they post of their athletes training to me are really cool to watch. You get to see a little bit under the hood as players are improving themselves day by day in the hopes of having that translate onto the field. Hopefully my passion for this translates via the microphone. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free, if it does, to share uh, and like, favorite, and subscribe if you aren't already. Cheers.